0: Duncan, how are you today? I'm super, it's Friday, what's not to like?
1: <laughs> um, okay, so welcome to Cloud Strix, which is a podcast where James and I talk about an article, a podcast, interview, or something that we have found interesting in the last week. Uh, James and I have been friends for 30 years and so some of this talk might sound a little broadly uh, because we you know, have kind of learnt how to, I don't know, talk about almost anything, perhaps in a way which we can you know, not worry about getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> um, <laughs> The article for this week is one from me. Um, it's from a lady called Chris Gage, called the most important thing in a relationship. Um, and I'm not saying I necessarily agree, but I found it very thought-provoking. I just thought I'd get part of it for you. So this is a bit: um, if you ask people what the most important thing is in a relationship, you'll get a myriad of answers. Big ones being trust, communication, respect, etc. But all of the answers really tie back to one singular factor, and it's Emotional stability and emotional self-sufficiency. I'm just going to repeat that. Emotional stability and emotional self-sufficiency. My favorite quote from the article is, we look for happiness from others, but this is an unreliable source of happiness. And here's the thing. It's not their job to fill our emotional needs.
0: All right, James, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, so um, first of all, um, I just wanted to let everybody know, so I have this quirk where I mispronounce things, and it gives Duncan <laughs> great pleasure to point these out. So um, in, in, in advance, I would have said myriad, and apparently it's myriad. Um, so there you go, and another thing I'm learning. <laughs> so uh, so it, wait, it's, it's just myriad. Myriad. What are you talking myriad. About? Yeah, myriad, yeah. a myriad of answers. I, I would have said myriad. So, James um, does a lot of
1: reading, but some of these words he's never actually pronounced before, so he knows what they mean. So, another favorite one is superfluous, he said, which is superfluous, because it Uh, looks like superfluous. So, what you do is you read the two words. It's my raid instead of myriad. Um, So, you're kind of joining together, Um, but you know what Uh, it means. You just have never pronounced it before.
0: Here's another one. Debris. I thought it was derbis. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, yeah, so, so if you ever hear, did hear this, me say... yeah, did you say that in public? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, that's so if good. you ever hear me say something that doesn't quite make sense, unless Duncan picked it up for you, um, it's probably because I've mispronounced something. So that's just a little um forewarning for you there. Yeah. But back to the article. So I really, really enjoyed reading this article. Um, I think the... Oh, sorry. When, there'll
1: be a link to this article in the description yeah, of the podcast. Yeah. Oh,
0: and um, I really do encourage everyone to read it's it. It's short, well. five minutes. Um, yeah, it's super short. It's um, it's super on point. Um, but also in the articles, um, without giving you too much homework, in the article there is also a link to another blog she wrote on the three things I absolutely need in a partner. And I'll tell you why I really like this. Um, basically because um, the first time I read this, I actually um, was very defensive or opposed to it. Because when I read emotional stability, my immediate thought was that this is about being in a constant state of um, like a stoic mindset where you are just always collected and calm. Uh, But the more I read it, the more I got into seeing that this is not about a state, it's about a mindset. And and I think Duncan picked it up in the quote that he read out. Um, But another one they were talking about here is Um, So Mark Manson called it people who manage their insecurities well or the ability to see one's own fault and be accountable for them. So it's not about saying that you are always emotionally stable and don't have outbursts or don't have um, uh, flaws and don't have, um, you know, peaks and troughs of your state. But it's how you manage them it's how you address them and how you're aware of them. Um, And so that to me was something. And so this is the other thing. Um, and you can tell me if you agree or not, Duncan, but I think um, maybe in a bid to try and create some new valuable insights, she called it emotional stability. But really, at the end of the day, I see it as emotional intelligence. Um, and I think that's where the uh, the translation was lost for me, because if you just call it emotional intelligence, I think it can resonate a lot more. Would you think that would be fair? No, I think what she's talking about is like emotional stability, Is like how volatile are you? So, we will sort of getting to
1: this lower, but emotional self-sufficiency. So, I think if you think about it, there are people, let's just say that your life is on average emotionally energizing, emotionally yep. neutral, or emotionally draining. Yeah. There are different activities. Like your Work for you might be great, like for me, and it's emotionally energizing. But work might be something you hate, and it's emotionally draining. Mm. And so, I think what she's talking about with emotional self-sufficiency is that on average, you're positive. Yeah. And so, the stability part is how much variation is there in that? So you could be on average positive, but then you might have twice a week, giant bouts of really negative town. And so that's not so great. So I don't think it's emotional intelligence. I think it's different what she's talking about here.
0: Right. Um, so that's where I thought um, it was helping me read the second. I, um, I don't know if you've read it. I think you have because I can see you're clapping on it. Um, so, by the way, on Medium blog post, you can clap article to show how much you like it. Um, so, when she talks about, but um, the other thing, she doesn't distinguish between emotional stability and emotional self sufficiency. You kind of um, did it well there, I thought. Um, but when she's talking about emotional stability, um, it's about somebody who deals with everyday setbacks without flailing, go um, follow through on what they say they'll do, and for the love of God, takes responsibility for their mistakes. So, to me, that's kind of someone who, you know, will have setbacks, will um, you know, make mistakes, but is someone who is aware of that and works on it and has the the awareness and the maturity to manage it accordingly. Um she does then go on to do exactly what she says um people shouldn't do, which is list off a whole bunch of qualities like um jealousy, clinginess, neediness, overreaction, toxicity, crippling anxiety and doesn't whine. Um, But to me, what resonates well is somebody who has um, the, you know, the awareness that happiness doesn't come from without, it comes from within. Uh, You shouldn't go into a relationship incomplete, looking for completion. You should have this mindset. Well, um, at the bottom of her blog, it was finishing up with, you know, you come into a relationship as two complete people. And that's how emotional stability um, came across to me
1: interesting i think i'm going to actually push back on part of that but hmm. i think i'll do it in a minute i thought the first thing we might do is just go through our relationship history um and this will give a bit of context and then say where we're at um i'll go first um, i'm 35. i'm actually 34 tomorrow <laughs> um and i am single right now and happily so so i am not looking for a relationship what i realized if you look at it from a sort of emotional self-sufficiency and emotional stability point of view is that actually when I was single, I had a higher average of emotional self-sufficiency, i.e. more positive and much less volatility than when I was in a relationship. So the average was lower and the volatility was higher. There were some peaks which I didn't get, you know, when I was single. But net-net, I, I, I took the, vol- the lack of volatility, you know, the downs as, as actually mm. being better. So yeah. I would say that, you know, I, over, I don't know, first real girlfriend was when I was 19. I had girlfriends before that. Um, but I, I would say, in hindsight, it wasn't really a proper relationship. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I would say that probably until you know a couple of years ago, I would have been in a relationship fifty percent of the time, and the average one being kind of a year to eighteen months. Nothing really got beyond eighteen months. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I was think I was looking for one because I kind of you know thought that's what you did, uh, you know. And you, you only found that one, then you know you would be happy and life would be complete. And I kind of realised that I you know, was in a worse place, I think, from emotional self-sufficiency and emotional stability perspective in a relationship mm. than when I was single. All right, I'll stop mm. there. Do you have any questions for me, James, or do you want to go for your...
0: Um... Um, well, well, no, I'll, I'll just give my very brief history. Yeah. Um, so up until, uh, I would say, I was about 21, I would definitely describe myself as a hopeless romantic. <laughs> uh, and um, emphasis on hopeless. So... <laughs> Um, I was definitely of the um, of the uh, the quality that would put the other gender on a pedestal in, in terms that I, um, you know, is it adulated? Uh, I don't know what it, what, what it is. Um, Adulation. But I yeah, possibly. Uh, basically, I was very shy around women. I was very shy around girls. And I always, always, always wanted to have, like, you know, a relationship or a girlfriend because like, I thought that would be the best thing. And it wasn't until I was out of school that I was no longer too shy to actually talk to them that I could actually start doing, you know, dating and um, the rest of it. But uh, in terms of relationship, I didn't have any real, like any substantial rel- or proper relationship um, in the early days. And it wasn't until um, I went overseas after I finished my first degree and I went on a, um, a year of traveling um, that I actually lived with myself for the first time, um, learned more about who I was, what it was that I wanted and what it was that made me happy. Um, And it was only when I came back um, in a completely altered state of mind where I realized that um, I just needed myself to be happy. I didn't need a relationship to be happy and that um, with this completely new mindset, I was ready to have a very enjoyable uh, uh, 20s you know, single and just, um, you know, taking life as it came, uh, which is... And so, so you, when you were... T- you got back from a serious crime when you were 21, right? 22?
1: Yeah, yeah. And you, you realised that at that point you were emotionally self-sufficient by yourself. So you, you weren't Def- then feeling like you needed to spend time trying to find a relationship. Because I, exactly. I basically it, was indoctrinated from birth, that. You yeah. needed to have one of these. And I, yeah. you know, if I was out and about you know, having a drink with friends, I'd always be kind of looking for you know, someone who might be a potential mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And we won't go into details on Duncan's techniques for that. Yeah, not good. Other, but, <laughs> but no. No, like <laughs> what no, not to it, do. Yeah. It was, it, I was specifically not looking for a relationship because I'd only just come to the realization that um, I was self-sufficient. It took I'd me until only... I was thirty-one, James. So you got me ten years on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you're not going to like what came next, Duncan, because yeah. it was once that re- that epiphany um, was obtained, it just so happened I met my then wife at a. Bar who was selling Bacardi breezes.
1: <laughs> That's As all romantic love stories begin. Let's go on. Yeah. Oh, gone,
0: uh, yeah um, fun fact: Duncan was actually there that night as well, and yeah. um, he was a uh, a catalyst to our lifelong relationship because he was able to provide the first life or death uh, scenario. No details he, on this, please. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, our bond was never um, never waned ever since. But Okay. The point I'm making here is that, um, it would, once I came to the realization that, um, that I was self-sufficient, that I was a complete person and happy to be on my own, um, that I was able to come into this relationship with, um, this other person, my now wife, um, in a very, very, what appeared to be sustainable way because we just had our 12-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. So basically, basically, so your self-sufficiency, you think,
1: led you to then being a good partner and i would say uh, yeah
0: yeah i would say that would be a fair um, observation
1: and you would say that you're now happily married um i would would certainly say that yeah um i concur this like james is disgustingly happily married (laughs) um uh, you know a a lot of my friends are married i don't know two-thirds um and you know i know some of them better than you know others um but for me, like, James like is as good a relationship as I'm aware of. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think that he is very happily married and this is a really good outcome. Maybe this is a question for you, James. Do you think I'm happily single? Of course I think you're happily single. What do you mean, of course? Uh, you mean,
0: <laughs> am I deluding myself? I'm pretty good at deluding myself. Oh, yes. Well, we're all deluding ourselves yeah. all the time. But, um, but you think I am net-net. Well, yes. I, so net-net, I see, um, you know, all of your behaviours, all of the thing that you talk about uh are not looking for reasons why you should be happy they're looking for reasons um why you are happy and i think um you're going through this process of self-discovery you know not that not to say that it's only just started now but it's at a particular level now where you go into this deeper level of understanding what it is that you truly want out of life and um i i see a liberation from you when you came to the uh the epiphany that, you know, I don't have to prescribe to what society deems to be a um, you know, a typical lifestyle in order for me to be happy. I can choose what that looks like. I can decide for myself exactly what it is that I want. Um so I feel like that you're completely in control of that story. I don't think that you're um wallowing in self pity, not just wallowing. <laughs> Sorry, inside joke. Um uh, so, yeah. yes, I do think you're happily single.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think what James said is like um, a big part of living a good life to me is defining your own value set and then trying to live by it. And I didn't realize that I had inherited the value set from society, e.g. find a life partner, you know, then get married, have kids. I, well, to be I, fair, I, not many of us do. Yeah, so I always thought that would happen. It was just an assumption. And um, only really starting to read philosophy kind of helped me start to question these assumptions. And I'd always sort of thought before when I was in a relationship, uh, you know, if it wasn't working, it wasn't the right person. Not that, hang on, there could be a different answer. <laughs>
0: mm.
1: and, and that was a big breakthrough for me that there could be a different answer. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, let's try this. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm against relationships. Uh, I'm not, you know, uh, you know, if something, you know, came along and it interesting. But I'm not looking, you know, if it kind of sort of happened. Uh, but I spend zero minutes a week <laughs> looking for this stuff. Mm. Um, maybe we move on to this question which I sort of really wanted to ask James. Have you been in a relationship or so that you know, where the other person wasn't self-sufficient, and I think mm. that we're talking or where you weren't self-sufficient, and what happened? And so mm. I think we're talking about self-sufficiency here, meaning that you're net you know, energy negative, mm. right? you're just yeah. sort of dra- you're a drainer you know, yeah. or you're draining yourself,
0: and so yeah. So I think it's important to have context here because um, take, for example, the situation uh, my wife and I are in right now. So we have two very lovely um, baby girls. Uh, If you uh, have been listening to us before, then I've waxed on about them um, uh, in the past. But um, as any uh, new parent will know, that the, the formative years of raising your child is exhausting. Um, and as part of that, particularly for in this, in my case, the mother who is really the sole carer, um, you know, from, you know, food wise, at least, um, we breastfeed our children, um, entirely up until their six months. So something for you, Duncan, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, um, so like both Izzy and Chloe, up until their six months, don't have anything other than breast milk. That's it. Um. So for Elise, that's like, she's basically round the clock. She is round the clock on call for Chloe to help make sure that she's getting the sustenance and love and care that she needs. Uh, and that's incredibly exhausting. It's incredibly rewarding and love-filled. Like, you know, we, we come up with new words for her every week. This week is peanut buttercup because she's just this little roly-poly um, butterfield pile of love and joy. She's just so happy. It's wonderful but we're physically exhausted. So to get to your point Duncan, at the, um, there are times where both Elise and I right now are not emotionally self-sufficient. It's, and it's because our tanks are running empty because we're so exhausted. So usual, normal scenarios or situations, then the um, thing that you've observed already um, in one of your writings is that typical situation that you would either come to in a neutral or even positive um, output can actually be negative because your energies are so drained, you do not have the c- capability to, you know, add to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, this is something that James and I talk a lot about. So
1: there's this concept of your tank. So how full is your tank and what activities add energy to your tank and what activities subtract energy from your tank? So if your tank full or if I'm tank full and something subtracting happens, I'm a kind, supportive, you know, generous person. If I'm tank empty and a subtracting thing happens, I am generally pretty short, not supportive, belligerent. You know, sometimes I get a bit emotional. Um, And so understanding where you are in your tank and then treating yourself differently is really, really important. Mm. I think one of the key things I was sort of trying to figure out here is, you know, some people, uh, you know, aren't unfortunately on average, you know, having their tank you know, neutral or being filled. It actually just drains. You know, mm. and then if you can get close to them, they can become draining to you. Mm. And so, yeah, um, maybe I'll stop there. Do you have any questions about the concept of the tank before we maybe head back to being in a relationship with people that might have been draining, or you yourself having been draining? Uh,
0: no. So I think that, so. For me, I tried. I don't want to make it too nuanced, but um, like the, the concept of the tank, I think it's very important, um, at least for me, in managing my relationship because. Um, it's not a positive or happy, sad thing. And I think that's an important distinction to make. So I tell Duncan, I have an empty tank. Also, um, I have a full love tank. Like the love in my life is just overflowing. But I have a very low life force energy tank in terms of just where I am from a physiological point of view. Like my- Just I to have be clear, James has, how old's Chloe? Four months?
1: Five months. No? Five months, yeah. So, And easy the other um, Charlie he has is three Years, so uh, I, I'm not. I've not been a bit of parent, but I understand that the early, you know, months are the most, you know, taxing, and so yeah, very well. Very they're tired. not.
0: Yeah, they're not entirely dependent uh, people yet, so they, um, they need a lot of help in uh, you know, dealing with the uh, thing that you and I take for granted day to day. But so, um, so that's my point. My point is that my love tank is full, but my life force energy is very easily drained. Um, but what I wanted to try and make clear, or at least this is what I have been. Learning myself personally over the last couple of years or so is that a lot of people um, change dramatically after they become a parent. Um, and there's part of this is physiological, like the mother goes through an incredible amount of transformation physiologically. Um, but the, the way I kind of saw it in the beginning was that's it, this person has now changed. But I think it actually really helps to look at it through this lens of, well, where is this person's tank at at the moment? Have they had enough time to fill their tank to actually know if this is how they are normally in this new world, or this is just them with a very low energy? So for example, if I come home and Elise had had zero time to herself all day and didn't really sleep much last night, she might not be the same Elise. If I came home and she had had half a day to herself because of the he with at preschool and the other half of the day she was able to do some exercise or things that gave her energy, I would come home to a very different person. Um, and so it's not this person who is just, you know, changing their personality. It's whether their life uh, force energy is empty or full. And I think if you can, um, as you said, Duncan, not just manage your own, but manage those around you, be aware of what those around you, um, what their levels are at then it gives you a lot more power in knowing how you can respond and how you can be helpful to others.
1: Completely. Um, One of the things is, you know, I think you need to treat yourself differently depending on where your tank is. Hmm. So they say be kind to yourself and be kind to others. If if you're at tank empty, you don't then go and, I don't know, do the hardest thing that you can think of doing. (laughs) You might decide, okay, I'm going to take – the afternoon off or i'm going to just you know do tank filling activity so an example of a tank filling activity for me is eating really nice food and there's like there's a place around the corner here that sells a pie for six dollars and it is worth like six hundred dollars to me <laughs> the amount of energy it puts <laughs> in my tank is out of control and it's like a surefire tank filler as well i'm it's going like, to buy a, this it's 95 percent of the time from it on. fills the tank some things are like really volatile so that whole stability thing and so Learning where your tank is and trying to articulate that and then knowing how to treat yourself versus where your tank is is huge. But also the same thing for people around you. Um, Good friends are there to support you when you're down, to cut you down the size when you're too big for your boots. It's a two-way street. And so, yeah, if, I don't know, I know just James's tank empty. I'll try and do something different. And this is what's really interesting. Helping somebody if their tank is empty can actually be tank filling for yourself. So it actually gives you energy because you're able to help them. So I didn't think about that. I thought maybe you have to tip energy from your tank into them. That can happen. Like if someone's in a really bad place for a long time, at some point it can cross from being positive to like, well, okay, this is draining me as well. But it can really be positive. It's a beautiful thing to be
0: able to help people. Mm. So it, it's, it's important. Um, so this is kind of what I um, observed in thinking about what we're talking about today. Is that there's got to be an underlying uh, understanding of the nature of the relationship um, when you're talking about these kinds of things that give you energy or takes away? Uh, and I guess the, the the very basic example are things like fair weather friends, you <laughs> know, people who only want to be around for the good times, or people you only see when you go out and party at night. Um, and you know, you've all heard the same story, like when you know when life got hard, or when you know you um you lost a, a, a relative and you you know you you weren't that fun going person anymore they suddenly just disappear because you know then you know they, they don't want to um you know have to deal with the bad stuff they just want to have fun um so i think it's important to give uh, i guess precedent to the nature of the relationship first because i don't think it can be life force filling for anyone to just help be helping out their friend because if that's not what their relationship is based on in the first place, then it might actually be draining for them. I agree, Duncan, that helping people is definitely a um, fulfilling exercise. And it's, sh- I think there is a way it could be for anyone in the world. Um, so long as the nature of the relationship they have with those people is based on, you know, having that as a, um, you know, the fundamental part of the relationship so you know yeah i'll just jump want... in james um yep. i think what you're trying to say is that if it's the only thing
1: in your relationship is helping them that might mm. be so good mm. and so yeah that's kind of what i said there's like you know a certain percentage of my time i want to be helping people but mm. if i'm doing it a hundred percent of the time like trying to help them fill yeah. their tank it's not great yeah. and so yeah. i think you need to because that would mean that you might not be at self-sufficiency so i think having sufficiency does mean helping people yeah, I thought I'd talk quickly. Um, about relationships I've had in the past. So I've had relationships. So they've they've not you know been like James twelve years. Um, and and one of the key reasons they've ended is because my interactions with that person have become draining. And there's been sort of two key reasons for this. One, that person is draining, and two, I found that person to be draining. I think I thought to talk about this distinction. So one of them I'm going to remain nameless because I might get crucified otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, um, went downhill uh, when it was with me, and became very dependent upon me for making sure that she had fuel in her tank. And for a while, I was happy to do this, but then it was like three months of doing it, and then it was six months, and I was like, I am tank empty now with this, and i can't continue doing this and so i know that it's not going to be great that we're not together for her uh because i think there was quite a lot of her dependence of tank coming from me but Mm. this is not sustainable and so that was sort of one and then another example is where this person wasn't being tank draining to me but uh, wasn't draining my tank but i found them tank draining and that was because and it's one of the things i sort of realized i had ridiculous expectations from a partner I was like, well, if, <laughs> if you're going to spend the rest of the life with them, they're going to like, literally be the best person on earth. Like intellectual companion, best friend, ultimate lover, you know, have fun with everything. And so... Skiing, living yeah, within yeah. 100 meters of you. <laughs> so if I basically was somehow feeling that they weren't this perfect, un, you know, person no person on earth is this, <laughs> um, <laughs> then I was kind of like, not good enough in my head. And, and this is ridiculous. I, I hope this is clear. And then I'd be like, nah. this isn't, you know, uh, this isn't an acceptable, you know, level. And then I would start to be a bit annoyed because they weren't, you know, perfect, basically. And then uh, this lack of perfection, which is not attainable, would basically ramp up to the point where it was like I was hearing it all the time. It went from like a low little background hum to like a loud thing. And then I was like, no, I can't see myself this person long term. So they weren't actually doing anything to take energy from my tank. I was deciding that they weren't filling my tank and it actually draining. So it's sort of two sides there.
0: Yeah. So I think, um, so when it comes to, you know, most relationships, I I don't know if it goes for all of them. Um, what really helped me understand how they evolve is that, so there's this book called the five love languages, epic book, epic book, really, really helpful for anyone out there in a relationship. Um, Without getting into the five love languages, what it talks about is that at the beginning of most relationships, you go through this thing called the honeymoon phase. Now, most people will have heard of that, but they haven't stopped to think about what it is about the beginning of a relationship that makes it this honeymoon phase, where basically not only can whatever the other person do um, be no wrong, but everything about that person is just elevating or just life- Pain, feeling exactly right. So there's this point where you are at the beginning of a relationship, and you are just whatever this other person is doing. It's just giving you this sense of um, you know filling up my energy levels, um, and it's just, and it's it's usually reciprocal. But then over time, that goes away, and this is when people can say, "Oh, the passion is relationship is dying because we're no longer you know completely besotted by each other." And, um, and i like might just add a little yeah. context here. So there's, there's three phases
1: they normally say. Yeah. Phase one is infatuation slash honeymoon. That normally yeah. goes from four to eight weeks. Stage two is in a relationship. That's up to two years. So stage two is in love. Sorry, that's up to two years. And then stage three is in a relationship. And I think mm. what James is saying is that in stage one, every single thing, all those little quirks are tank filling. And then mm. after stage one of infatuation honeymoon, some of those move to being not so endearing. they are like, oh, that's actually yep. annoying. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. And then <laughs> yeah. there's like a third phase of where you kind of settle into, okay, there's no new like, things that went from endearing to neutral to negative <laughs> from tank yep. perspective. And so yep. it takes two years to get to that point. And there's actually yep. some studies that they've done basically saying that people who get married before that two-year point, the chance of them having a, you know, a divorce is much higher because mm. they have not yet hit like the stability zone of where yep. things are kind of you know, stable. And so, or a seven-year itch, as people say. Yeah, but if you so if you got married and you've been together for like, God knows, whatever, three years, so it's longer than a two-year thing or five years. There's not big a difference, apparently. But if you get mm-hmm. married at one year versus two years, there's a massive difference in the percentage yeah. of people who make a relationship work long-term.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, the, and so that's the whole, um, I guess, process that relationship that are together this long will go through that they will feel like they have been deceived because this person who was just this glowing example of perfection <laughs> and giving you everything and no matter what they did, well, you know, that, that little quirky laugh of theirs was just really adorable and now it just drives you nuts. Um, you feel like something changed and you feel like it could only be either them or the relationship. And so I think, um, Duncan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what the book basically says is that it's not the fact that the love is gone, is that it's evolved into the next stage. And at that point, you need to understand what the other person's language is for you to be able to have a sustaining relationship. And if you're not using the right language, then that can be very draining, not only for yourself, because you don't feel like you're getting love from this person, but it can be very draining for them too, because no matter what it is that you do that you think is loving, they're not seeing it because it's not given to them in their language. Um, I don't know if you want to add there. I think I haven't done it. In yeah, the so
1: they, they basically say that there are five love languages and that you need to understand which language really resonates with mm. your partner. Mm. Um, and so I'm just trying to get them up here because I can't remember what they are off the top of my
0: well, head. But One is words. One is touch. One is gifts. One is... Uh, uh, but yeah, so words of, or, Words like, of affirmation. W- affirmation, thank you one uh, is touch what is, uh, I've got it actually... here so receiving gifts, quality
1: yeah. time quality, quality of time. affirmation acts of service and physical touch mm. and the point is that different people have different love languages but people, what, he's, what they're trying to say in the book, typically think that the other person's love language is the same as this so what they're kind of saying here is that in phase one infatuation, you don't need to worry about this it's all good, you know. If you can't enjoy that, you're stuffed, right?
0: <laughs> it's it's <laughs> stage, so good. <laughs> in stage
1: two, um, then you know some things that were annoying you, you know, may not be, you know. And then in stage three, you're in sort of a stability. But what you can do is activities in stage three, which add fuel to each other's tanks, and you don't have a zero sum game. I.e., this is one of the things that I didn't like about what Chris said. You need to be emotionally self sufficient, but I'm like, what happens if you being in a relationship? moves you from being deficient or deficit to being, you know, um, what's it? The opposite of deficit? Go on. To being- Surplus? Surplus. There we go. And I think that's Ooh, possible. Yeah. So, you might be lonely. You might not have this. And so, I think it is possible this person can do that. I think you can be self-sufficient without a relationship. I believe I am. Um, but I think that you can be from a deficient to surplus, you know, in a relationship. And in that third phase, you've got to do some things. So, for instance, my one is really quality time. Um, I don't care, you know, if, I don't know, we happen to be in the same room watching TV or something or reading a book, but I just, you know, wanted like, I don't know, quality time for me was having a good discussion. And one of my ex-girlfriend's quality time for her was going and visiting a sort of new place. So there might be like a new cafe or going on a walk and it, and it was different. Um, and so some people's, however, is sort of acts of service. So I think that, for instance, you know, I'm going to put words in people's mouths here, but you know, someone I know, I think, in you know, acts of service. So, James, yeah, the, the point is that so in that third phase, this understanding this can make a massive difference. Yeah, and you're trying, but you're pushing on a string because you're doing the wrong love language.
0: Yeah. Do you have any thoughts? And, yeah. Okay. Well, so the, so trying to tie this in with where we're getting at with self sufficiency is that so it can be very very um, easily misconstrued. That when somebody is becoming not emotionally self-sufficient, it might simply be that they're not actually getting their tank filled, or their needs met, or their love language is not being spoken. Um, so, to, to to give you the tangible example, is that sometimes um, my partner can not be giving me energy because she doesn't get energy herself. Uh, And that can be because she's not getting sleep or enough time to fill her own tank. So instead of looking at it from a way that um, this person is not emotionally self-sufficient, it could be that we need to look at it in a way that, what is it that this person is not getting to fill their tank? Because I think in a way, if we all knew what it was that filled our tanks, then maybe we would, by effect become emotionally self-sufficient it like could that. be that it, yeah so it could be that we're all um you know a lot along this spectrum so for example i think duncan and i have said in the past at a neutral setting we are um you know quite uh i say stoic people neutrally it takes a, um, a lot for us to get worked up emotionally you or, mean, or just humans both of us us too. yeah us i'd say too. versus
1: uh, uh, other people on yeah. average i yeah. would
0: say that's probably fair yes yeah. yeah so um but then for others it might be that their natural state is this caught this phrase to coin the phrase emotionally insufficient but it might just be that they haven't had their tank filled enough for them to come to a point of self-sufficiency all right um And one way to fill someone's take is their love language. Booyah. (laughs) Cut it all in. So that's
1: what I was going to say, James. What do you think your love language is? And what do you think Mm. your wife's love language is? And can you give a tangible example of each? Just one example. though.
0: Yeah. So um, both my wife and I have words of affirmation as one of our two love languages. I think the book said you need to have two. Um, It doesn't really matter what your top one is. You can try and figure it out. Um, But... For both my wife and I, it's words of affirmation, but it's... Can you give an example diff- of that? What does that mean for you and what does that mean for her? Yeah, so it for, for Elise, um, sorry, my wife's name is Elise, by the way. But, um, I don't know if I need to get too personal. For her, it's empathy. Like, just at the end of the day, if I can show that I understand what it is that she's going through, then she doesn't feel alone. Then she doesn't feel like that whatever it is that um, is causing her... Uh, to drain her tank is not something that she's bearing on her own, but that she has someone who can at least appreciate and understand how hard it is for her to go through that. So it's just it's empathy to make sure that I am showing her how I understand what it is that is um, you know to, to going through at, at that particular point in time. And for yourself, so um, for me, it's kind of different. I think I just like positive reinforcement. I think that I respond very well instead. De- like, so, I mean, um, you know, nobody likes, um, to be reprimanded. You know, like, um, like I'm, I'm going to come up with an example that we don't do at home because then it's not personal. But like, you know, some partners hate it when their partner puts the towel on the floor. And like, don't put your towel on the floor. Right. So that's being reprimanded. Whereas a positive affirmation is, you know, sweetheart, I just love it. When you put the towel in the laundry basket, it makes me think that you care and oh, this is so wonderful. <laughs> so, that's a really, really extreme example. So, not being reprimanded for you. Well, it's just positive affirmations. Like, yeah. these are the things that you do that make me happy when you do them. And then that makes me want to do them more. Yeah. Okay. As a- for me, I mentioned it before, it was quality time. And for me,
1: that quality time is talking. So, it's having a conversation. And it's not mm-hmm. just talking about nothing. It's having a conversation which is either entertaining or engaging slash enlightening. i learned learn something. Ideally, mm-hmm. both. And I think this is James and I here. This is actually that. So this is us having entertaining and engaging conversation. Speaking um, Duncan's love language. <laughs> seriously. A- and I don't know, like, you know, as an example, my mother, I think her main one is physical touch. Um, and this is not going to sound weird, but like, you know, basically most times I see mum, I give her a hug. And she loves the hug. It's just like, you know, a 10-second hug, and she's just like smiling. Um, (laughs) So, yeah.
0: um, I I can see how that's true for most mothers. I I would agree that would be the same for my Um, mum. And,
1: yeah. One of the things I thought I might touch on is like how I've tried to improve the emotional self-sufficiency of different relationships that I've had. Um, So, you can design these things, and you can hopefully learn a bit as life goes on. And so I said to James about 18 months ago, we've been friends for a very long time, I was best man at his wedding, that we don't live in the same city now, unfortunately, and he had kids. Um, and so our interactions were getting worse. And I was like, dude, I think we're on a trajectory to not being friends. And I said, I don't want that to happen. I want to change that. I want to make, you know, be great friends with you. How can we make a, a long distance friendship work? <laughs> and this is sort of what initially I came up with. I was like, let's have a regimented time and catch up each week. Calendar it because it was always, uh, you know, we'd sort of fit in, try and call you on the weekend, and then someone would be busy and they wouldn't answer, and the other person would call back and they'd be busy, and then you'd go weeks without talking or whatever. And so the only time that both of us could commit was actually during work time. And initially, I was like, work time is for work, <laughs> not for catching <laughs> up with your friends. Um, and James was like, outside of work time it's for family, not for catching up with friends. Um, and so we had to do this compromise, which is basically I compromised.
0: <laughs> so, so,
1: so, yeah. But then the next thing was, okay. Let's just have an article which we talk about each week. And so I wanted to have an in-depth discussion because, frankly, I'm pretty boring. What did you do this week, Duncan? I sat in front of a computer. I worked. I spoke to some people. There's not really that much interesting going on. Um, And then we discussed this article. And that made it 10x in engagement up. And that's actually what's led into this conversation that we're having um, today. Because we're just discussing an article. We used to do this. uh, And we've kind of like leveled it up a bit. And we've actually learned how to become better discussion partners. So I've gone from... Time with James, I felt was actually net draining because when we caught it up, which was infrequent, we didn't have a meaningful conversation. So having a meaningful conversation about an article, and I think the most meaningful conversations we now have are the ones we're recording. Um, and so this is one of the things that is a massive tank filler for me, and is really enjoyable and really engaging. And so I, I you know, James, maybe onto the web. from your side, you, if you found this to fill my tank?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think there are parallels that we can draw here um, in relationships in general and what happens in life. So um, uh, without d- dwelling into super obvious shit that everybody knows, but life changes, right? So you don't have the same relationship with your friends as you did in school where you see them every day and they're in the same class. Physical proximity is always there. Uh, you don't have the same relationship with your partner as you did in the early stages where you go to a honeymoon period as opposed to two to five years later. Uh, and so even your friendships change. And um, as Duncan pointed out, I have moved state. I now have a family where I spend the lion's share of my time, or well, all of my time outside work, um, but lion's share of my time in general. Um, and so for us to try and suppose that we could maintain any kind of semblance of what our friendship was originally based on is ludicrous. And that's partly why it was kind of starting to erode or shift or move in, you know, not break down, but just like move in different direction. You know, like Duncan's life is his, business that he's trying to grow. My life is my family that I'm also trying to grow. I have more um, than just business in my life, James. <laughs> you have, <laughs> and you have wonderful pie that you pay $600. Dollars yeah. dollars, <laughs> or would pay. Nah, um, but course. the point I'm yeah. getting at here is that so what Duncan did was that he changed the nature of our relationship. It wasn't that I was no longer this person that was filling um, his cup. It was the nature of our relationship wasn't working. And so he figured out how to change it. In order to move back to a way that we're filling our cups again, tank, tank,
1: not cups, okay. So basically, uh, long story short, you you agree that that this is far more tank filling for you than what it was.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Maybe one thing. Question for you: Have you found something to do? So I think you can get better at relationships. So hopefully, you get a little bit wiser each day. (laughs) And you know, it used to be this like, uh oh, this better work by you know, no effort and so or no thought. And so I don't think there's effort actually for this. Because it's effort, I would require, I would almost define as taking energy from your tank. Mm. So I put in a bit of time to read this article, but it's energizing. And then I get to Mm. speak to James about it. So a good relationship is effortlessly tank filling. Mm. And so maybe I was thinking, do you have any things that you've learned with your wife about ways to fill her tank or her her to fill your tank in maybe the last year or or, I don't know, whatever it is, something that you wish you knew five years ago?
0: Um, well, the, the, the first example I can give that comes to mind and it's very unfortunate that, that we don't get to do it at the moment because um, she goes to bed with Chloe at a different time that Izzy and I do. But for at least her second love language is touch. And by touch, I mean getting a tickling her feet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not All she needs is an hour on the foot and that will just make her day yeah. and it's very easy for me and it's very rewarding for me because i have it's like i call them cheat codes you know like people always wish they just had a cheat code to life so just tell me how to do something so that i can be successful <laughs> or just tell me how i can make my wife happy yeah. like it's literally like i do this my wife is happy and it's no brainer for me. I can just sit there and um, you know be in my own headspace, or be reading a book, or doing something else with the other hand while I'm tickling her feet with um, with my right hand. And that is just for, like that is just energizing for her, uh, and it's a, it's no not draining for me. It's fantastic for um, you, is it?
1: Because you get you you're, you're giving her energy gives you energy.
0: Yeah, and I get brownie points too. <laughs> so win freaking win 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 win. Um, okay, hang on. Uh, maybe
1: this is really cool. Codes. So I used to call these surefire. Mm. And so if you realize that it takes a bit empty or something, um, maybe you go and do one of these things. If I filled my life entirely with it, it wouldn't work. But I basically make sure I do a few of these a week. So I thought I'd just give you a couple of them. For me, mm. food can be a real joy. And so I found all this food around my office, which costs $10 ish, say for lunch. Oh, and I'll buy it and then I'll eat it. It's and so I call it mindful eating. Um, and that is actually where I don't listen to any music. I don't listen to any podcasts or audiobooks, I don't talk to anyone. I just eat. I eat with my eyes closed, and I eat slowly, so I taste <laughs> as much as possible. And um, I realize I get, like, three times as much out of the food as I did before. Before, I was kind of just, like, jamming it in my mouth and reading a news article at the same time, whereas now I'm, like, experiencing 100% of my bandwidth. I've only got a certain amount of bandwidth, and before I was giving a third of that over to the food, now I'm giving hundred percent to the food, and it's like an, a revelation. So one surefire thing for me is food. So ten minutes for lunch, ten minutes for dinner, ten minutes for breakfast. No eating, no talking, and I'm just like experiencing the food. And I'm like, this is energy feeling monstrously. Another example is a massage. And I think James is giving his wife a massage. For me, getting a massage, like I could be real cranky pants, stressed, stress head, and then I go get a massage, and half an hour later, it's like the world has changed (laughs) and they aren't necessarily cheap, but for like, you know, 50 bucks, like I can't buy that kind of head change for $50. Um, And another one before maybe James goes onto some of his cheat codes slash surefire tank fillers is meditation. Um, If you'd told me five years ago that I would meditate two to three times a day, I would have told you that I wasn't some, you know, Buddhist, you know, hippie, (laughs) show me the science. And the good thing is actually there is science behind this, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. James, do you have any short content minutes well, I think actually we might have to cut this yeah.
0: short here. James yeah, is well, uh, kicked out of his yeah. room. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, for me, uh, going for a run will give me immense joy and reward because. So, um, and I'm really sorry, Duncan, I've forgotten it again. But Duncan has um, this. A model around thinking. There's concentrated thinking and then there's diffuse thinking. I didn't make it up. Diffuse thinking. So that yeah, no. but, well, yeah. Um, so I've learned it off Duncan. So there's yeah. concentrated and there's diffuse thinking. So one is where you are focusing on the problem. The other is basically where you let your mind free and you allow thoughts to come to into it. Um and to me, um so some people can do that by just finding a quiet space and just allowing their mind to wander. For me uh, going for a run is like that on steroids. My mind will just go into overdrive in a freely wandering sense. And that is just incredibly rewarding for me from a psychological point of view. But just going for a run and how I feel afterwards physiologically is also incredibly rewarding. Mm. So for me, having that, um, you know, at the moment it's once a week. I would like it to be twice. So I'm going to try and um, uh, do that more often. It's um, incredibly rewarding. Um, Joyful exercise, an incredibly tank feeling. Even though I'm physically exhausted at the end of it, um, I'm physiologically full. <laughs> James, do you, do you have time to chat, or we're we calling it uh, wrapping it up here? Um, we might have to wrap it up. I'm very sorry to say um, I think every single episode we've done, we've run out of time. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> going right, to need so like, we do like a summary a huge... really quickly.
1: Yep, um, I can start. Like okay, summary. Um, I think hopefully you've understood more about what we refer to as emotional self-sufficiency and emotional stability. I think you want to be at a place where, on average, your activities are energy-filling. And that's, you know, a a mixture. So you kind of mix life together. Like, is work emotionally and for me? Yes, no. Okay, I should try and find Mm -hmm. some of these. Is my relaxing downtime feeling? Is my time with my friends? And then you can learn how to do each of these activities better. So Just because, I don't know my relationship with james i thought was going from very energizing say you know i don't know 15 years ago and it would basically have been a slowly decline <laughs> unfortunately till it was like negative and i didn't want that to happen and so then i was like well how do i turn this into something positive again and then i told james about my plan he's like sweet dude let's try the plan and so yeah it's about the right activities but also doing them right and then recognizing mm. where you are mm.
0: that's right. my summary
1: what do you got James? yeah
0: so, I mean, I came into um, this, this this very conversation with the thought on emotional self-sufficiency basically being a person's uh, emotional intelligence or maturity. Their ability to, on their own uh, you know, sense of awareness, understand their own flaws and to be able to work on them independently um, or not depend on a, another partner. Um, and so actually talking this through with you, Duncan, I've... Um, I feel like I've gotten a little bit of insight in terms of it may well be possible that we all exist along this spectrum of self-sufficiency and whether or not we are self-sufficient is whether our love tank is full. And if our love tank isn't full, then we need to figure out what can fill it. And for, um, well, it doesn't have to be, um, partnership or rela- well, romantic relationship it can be any relationship. You, um, Every single what- minute
1: you spend. One of the things we didn't touch on is like you're in a relationship with yourself. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. They, so they so say all um, of, you know, humans' problems come from an inability to sit in the room by themselves for an hour. Yeah. Most people, when they do that, no TV, no nothing, they are getting into severe, yeah. you know, negative town in terms of deficiency. It's just sucking all, into your tank.
0: All very true, Duncan. What I was going to say with, I'm not sure if the five love languages are relevant to all of that. I think it is. Um, but what I was saying is that knowing what the, your other person in your relationship love languages can be a way to help fill up their cup or well, sorry tank <laughs> and by which will help them become more emotionally self-sufficient. So um, this has been really insightful for me because until actually talking about it, they've been floating around in my uh, gray space um, in a very abstract manner without piecing the t- pieces together. So I think we can actually see a way that um Emotional self-sufficiency is something that you can nurture. It is something that you can try to understand. Not just a, yeah, so it's not just a setting that this, this partner of yours is not emotionally self-sufficient, then, then they've got to go. It's why are they emotionally su- uh, insufficient? Is it because their tank is full empty? And is it because their language isn't being spoken? Um, whether or not you should be together, I think, can be another story. So, yeah, that's my uh, two cents.
1: I know that you said tend to finish, but I sort of, you know, maybe, <laughs> well, I don't know if you, you have to. Um, it used to be that I used to sort of think, oh, this, this isn't right. You know, this is the wrong person then. So mm. if this relationship wasn't working, they're the wrong person. Find mm. the right person. When it's the right person, it'll be right. Mm. But I've realized that oh, now that maybe you suck at relationships, Duncan, and the way that you're, you're doing this. So I said this earlier. Is someone taking the edge of my tank or was I deciding that they were depleting my tank? Mm. And I had decided they were depleting my tank. And so, that's me not being very good at relationships, as an example. Yeah. And it used to be that when I, I'm in a relationship with myself, I didn't realize that. And so, if I had the whole day to myself, I'd normally get lonely and anxious and bored and all those things. And the tank would slowly start depleting more and more. And then I'd be like, call someone, watch some TV, go and ha- you know, hang out, you know, whatever else it is. Whereas now, you know, I don't know if anyone, I've been on like a five-day meditation retreat of silence, you no know, talking, you no know, nothing. Yeah. After like a day and a half, the first day and a half was like tough, um, and then the next stuff was like beautiful. And so now I sort of try to go on a meditation retreat every six months. Yeah, it's just a holiday with myself and holiday yeah. with my mind. And so you can definitely get better at these things. Um yeah. and well, and then thank God because I wasn't so good at it in the past. Yeah, so, yeah,
0: yeah. So um, one more one more piece of the nugget um, of wisdom from me. Uh, we're gonna go on with this. I don't know how we're gonna stop it now. Um, is so. The, the, the resistance I had to the article in the beginning, um, and this is why I encourage everyone to read it themselves and um, the, the link in the article as well, is that I read it as someone to say that if you are emotionally uh, insufficient, then it's on you. You shouldn't be putting up with a partner who needs you to help them through something. And I didn't agree with that. I thought, well, no, that's one of the reasons why you have – relationship is to help each other, to build each other up, to, um, you know, to create, um, you know, a a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. Um, But that's where I got to is that I can see that that wasn't, well, that wasn't the message I ended up with. The message was that um, you you should actually have someone who can work on themselves with this and you can be there for them as they go through it. Um, so there was a famous saying, um, if you can't be with me when I'm at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. The, uh, the eternal wisdom of Marilyn Monroe. Um, and I never really understood that uh, until um, my partner kind of explained it to me uh, while we're going through it at the time. <laughs> um, and I think it says a lot that someone can be acutely aware that you know, they're finding something hard or they're not able to cope with something on their own, and that, you know, they, they need you to help them. Um, and I think that's okay. I think that's actually a still part of a healthy relationship, because it's not like um, I, I need you to be happy, or I need you to fulfill me, but it might be that I need you to help me, simply, simply, simply as that. Yeah, I'll add one more thing I thought
1: we had to finish. I, I do think that your relationship, so if you have a romantic partner, should be on average... Tank filling. Mm. And that could move you from being emotionally not self sufficient to being self sufficient. Mm. So I think that's fine. Um, But, you know, as was sort of said at the very beginning, it's not up to others to make us happy. Um, Mm. You know, it's an unreliable source of happiness. It's our job to fill our own needs. And I think Mm. that's sort of true. But I think you can have a stable relationship, which isn't zero sum, where you both give each other positivity Mm. that you otherwise, or a tank filling you know, activities that you otherwise wouldn't have had. And that's fine. But I think you can also very much have a life where you are net adding energy to your tank, you know, without having a relationship. And that's not something I realized. Yeah. Like 10 years ago. Okay. (laughs) Are we going to stop or are we going to have more
0: random (laughs) talks? I think we're going to call it there, dude. Um, All right. This has been super, super insightful um, and tank filling for me. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. Um, Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.